Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, your adoption show. I'm April Fallon. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to Adoption Now, your adoption show. I'm your host, April Fallon. I am the mom of four adopted children. We said yes to seven placements, but only finalized on four. So as you can imagine, our journey has been challenging and amazing. There's been grief. There's been miracles. It's just been a crazy 11 years. But five years ago, we decided we wanted to talk about our adoptions on a radio show in Denver. And that show is what you hear today. It became a national podcast, and we tell stories from all over the world by uh, adoptees. We hear from birth parents. We hear from adoptive parents. It's been amazing. And I can't believe we're in season six. Yay! We are so glad that you joined us on this episode. It's going to be a great episode. Our guest is an infertility, baby loss, and adoption advocate. She is also an adoptive mother from Massachusetts. Please welcome Ruthie Lydon. Hi, Ruthie. Hi, April. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, I'm excited about your story, but it starts so difficult. Yeah, it's pretty ugly. So hi, everybody. And I'm just so grateful to be here. So my husband and I, his name is Chris. My name is Ruthie. We got married in 2014 and immediately started to try to have a family because I've always wanted children my whole life. I've been working with kids since I can remember. So I always wanted to have children. And we weren't able to have children. So we immediately turned to IVF. Um, I was diagnosed with infertility based on a blocked fallopian tube. Had the tube removed and they told us IVF was going to work great, yada, yada, yada. So we started that arduous, daunting process for anybody who's listening. I'm sure you can relate. So many people are like, yes, we understand. Absolutely. It's awful. So we started that process. We did IVF for five years, um, many, many rounds. I really can't count. I had a lot of procedures, a lot of surgeries. I had two miscarriages. And then I had gotten pregnant with twin boys. Um, Their names were Bo and Croy. And the boys passed away. I was about 26 weeks pregnant. And the boys passed away on August 5th of 2017. Um, In that process, I almost died. Um, I bled out severely. I had to have six blood transfusions to keep me alive. Oh, my gosh. Um, And at the same time, I actually don't think I even mentioned this to you before, but my husband's father died tragically and suddenly from an aortic dissection. So we were really struggling with that loss. So it was basically just loss after loss after loss. And then when the boys died and I almost died, I think for my husband, it was just you know, the perfect storm of everything horrible that could ever happen to you. You're losing your father, you lose your children, you think you're going to lose your wife. You know, then I come home, I've had six blood transfusions, and they basically have me on bed rest. I can't really do anything. You know, you you can't breathe normally, you can't really walk more than 10 steps without getting exhausted. Um, But I had, you know, we had buried our kids, and I was just, just traumatized by that. In so many ways, I mean, I was home in bed with milk coming in Mm -hmm. and no babies to feed. And it's really just, 
a night, a actual nightmare. I mean, mm. it's something you see in a movie and you think there's no way this is ever going to happen to me. And then you're living it. Right. I mean, the grief. Talk about that. The grief was so intense on top of the trauma. So I do a lot of trauma work for a living, but you know, when it's your own trauma, it's a different animal. The same way it's like, you re- you know, you're helping other people's kids and then it's your own kids. It's just a different animal. My own trauma, I just could not get over the need and desire to have a child. It was so, um, it was so intense, you know, and I immediately sought out counseling. I was able to do counseling on the phone with a woman who basically saved my life. I mean, I'm a person who wants to get better immediately. So I was like, I need meds, I need help, I need this, I need that. You know, meanwhile, I'm debilitated physically. I can't imagine your body is so physically injured and you have no baby. You know, there's that reward when you have a baby. It's like you can't walk and you're, exactly. you know, but you're holding your baby and the emptiness that you must have felt where you're recovering, but there's no baby to hold. Exactly. So the, the deep sorrow of that is so vast. I don't know if there are words. It's amazing to me now. And like, I'm starting to tear up talking about it, but it's it's actually amazing to me now that I can talk about it without sobbing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I used to just cry and cry and cry. And it's amazing what time will do, but also, you know, really good therapy and, and talking and talking and talking and talking. And the more you let it be part of you, the more, you know, that process heals you. Um, but that grief is still deep inside mm-hmm. of me. I mean, as much as people will say, oh, well, you have kids now and it's so great and da-da-da-da. It's like, right, but there's, there's still trauma. There is still loss. There is still deep, deep sorrow. And it really never goes away. I don't know if it does. I can't even imagine. Tell me about your therapy. What did this counselor say to you? How did she walk you through so it's interesting that you ask because she not only was a therapist, but she was also a, what is it called when you are the person who has to deliver news about genetic disease, um, like a genetic counselor, I guess, because we had gotten some really horrible news about the boys. And that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> one boy had spina bifida and hydrocephaly, but also another one had chromosomal abnormalities. So she not only was a grief counselor, but she had this very um, scientific knowledge about the things we had went through. Mm. And that, I think, made it um, better because it was fact-based, you know? And I think unless, and she had lost a child of her own. Mm, Yeah, she really connected. Yeah, and I'm not saying that, you know, you have to go through something to be able to counsel somebody through it, but it certainly helps. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the things I say is, and I learned this on the show, is if you haven't gone through it, don't speak to it. Exactly. And and it's hard because when you go through something like that, you're talking to your friends or, and if they haven't been through it, sometimes they can do more damage, your family and friends, than help you. And so finding somebody that has gone through it or they specialize in it is so, so important. It's so important. And now that I'm thinking back to it, it was actually a social worker in the hospital. Because here I am in the hospital. I'm in this special unit for women who've lost children. Okay. So it's like the saddest place on earth, right? You picture like all the saddest people in one space. And I'm sure they put us there because they're not going to put you in like a recovering area with people with babies or something Mm because that would be even sadder. Mm -hmm. So you're in the saddest place on earth. And I I look pregnant because it's twins. I'm huge. My milk's coming in. I'm hysterical. 
And the social worker came in and she recommended her to me. And, you know, it's like, it's such a blur, but when I can look back, I can specifically remember her saying it. And I remember telling my husband, like, please write that down. Please write that down. Because I knew I needed help and I needed help quickly because I was still going to be a mother. You weren't going to take that from me. Mm -hmm. You were a mother. I mean, you had these babies. Right. And so to be a mother and not be able to mother is devastating. Exactly. And that's exactly what it was. It was, I am a mother without my babies. Mm -hmm. Right. So the pain was just so deep. And, but I knew I had to fight my way back so that I could have a family. So I literally just crawled my way out of that depression. I mean, literally crawled. My husband, thank God, you know, was very supportive. Obviously he couldn't understand, but the trauma was real too. I mean, trauma is visceral, right? You have, my body was doing weird things and I was having tremors and night flashes, you know, like hot, like weird sweats and like, Mm -hmm. it's just all this stuff, right? And your husband also going through grief, right? He's also lost children, maybe not physically um, going through that, but it's hard in a marriage because you're grieving and he's grieving and yet you want to comfort each other, but you don't have the comfort to give each other. And so that's kind of an empty place for a lot of couples as well. Did you guys have that as well? Oh my God, a hundred percent. I mean, there were times I'm like, we're not going to make it. Like, we're not going to make it. I remember one miscarriage, like when his dad had died, going into the garage just to like scream and cry. Cause I was like, I just don't want him to see me like this. I mean, I really thought we're not going to make it a million times. I thought we weren't going to make it on top of IVF. I mean, anybody who's gone through IVF mm-hmm. is enough to break couples. I mean, I remember throwing pillows at him being like, I hate you for no mm-hmm. reason, just because I was on hormones. Oh my gosh. I can just see people right now listening to this and looking at their husbands and the husband's laughing and they're laughing because they, they have been there. They have walked this journey. In fact, so many are probably crying and relating to your story because it's really painful. And and some of them are in a place that it's really fresh and they haven't gone on to adopt, right? So they're like holding onto your story and they're like, please tell me that, you know, it gets better, that that you moved forward. Right. Well, it's going to get worse first, but oh, then it's going to no, get really good. Ruthie. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's going to actually get worse. So, well, I'm not sure it gets worse, but a little scarier. So, you know, I'm trying to support him. He's trying to support me, but we're both on this mission, right? Like we're both committed to this concept of like, we want a family and we want to be together. Okay, fine. But we're moving forward. We still had embryos. Okay. So now my husband, I would have adopted initially, you know, I was always okay with adoption. That never scared me. It was, I was always all for it. My husband was wishy-washy about it for a lot of reasons, you know, and I think I didn't, I think I was ignorant to the fact that a lot of people don't want to adopt. Mm -hmm. I really was shocked. You know, I was like, wow. And they're entitled to that. There's completely Mm -hmm. their decision and their opinion and whatever. But I I mean, I was like blown away, like a child is a child, but I think maybe that's because of the work I do. I've been working with kids in our city for 20 years. It's all I know. I feel like I, they're my children. Mm Mm-hmm. Lots of husbands struggle, lots, and it's totally normal. 
to have a desire to have a biological child and then kind of shut down any other ideas. That's totally normal. And it's a lot of people's journey. And they say, you know, my husband just wasn't on board. And my advice is wait till your husband is on board. Don't push him. Um, Just keep praying that he turns around. But it's totally normal. I hear it all the time. So that's... Well, it kind of makes you hate them. I mean, that's the reality. Like, I'm just a very honest person. Like, I really started to resent um, that. But then the flip side was, you know, I had to have these children. And then, you know, my innate instinct to have my own child was also there as well. Like I had them and they were ripped from me. So give them back. Mm -hmm. Wait, he wanted you to go through another pregnancy though? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Was he really nervous and scared? I think he was nervous and scared, but like I was committed to it also. You know what? I, you know, to be totally honest, like in hindsight, I really went kind of mental. You know, I was just like, Mm -hmm. this has to happen. Like this has to happen. This has to happen. Oh, wait. So Okay, so let me go back. So now the boys pass away. I almost pass away, et cetera. We get to, I decided to go back to work once I was feeling better. Okay, so I go back to work in Boston and I was at work and I was still bleeding after the boys died. Still bleeding, still bleeding. And I'm like, this is weird. It's been like eight or nine weeks. Why am I still bleeding so much? I go to the doctor. They say, you know, it's just two placentas, two babies, like, it's probably normal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mind you, you know, I had the blood transfusions from all the bleeding, whatever. So now I'm at work and I'm talking to someone normal standing in the hallway. I know the exact dress I was wearing. And all of a sudden I could just feel, sorry for TMI, but just blood, like somebody had turned on a faucet. And I'm thinking, I literally remember standing there thinking, am I having another miscarriage? And I'm like, nope, impossible. <laughs> I get rushed to the emergency room. I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. My friends are standing outside the emergency, outside the um, ambulance. They take me to Beth Israel Hospital. I'm calling my doctor on the way. He, she's like, I'm going to meet you there, blah, 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 blah. You know, they don't know what's going on. I immediately get rushed into surgery. They say that they think it's a placenta previa. And for anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's when some of the placenta gets attached to your uterus and it creates its own blood source, right? And it's it's unstoppable. Um, and, I'm, you know, I'm like, you, you have to be kidding me. These kids died month, like two months ago. Are you kidding me? We're talking about their placenta. Like, I can't even have this conversation. So now I come out of surgery and I wake up with a balloon catheter in my uterus, keeping me alive. And they're like, it's not a placenta preview. And we don't know what to do because we can't stop the blood. So they're rushing me upstairs saying, we have to take out your uterus this instant. Okay. I mean, this is going to sound like I'm making it up. So now here I am laying in a bed, you know, I, I, here I am, you know, my husband again, he's, he, he's hysterical again. Here we are again. I'm, almost, I'm like, they're like, yep she's going to die if we don't take out her uterus right the second out of nowhere. And I swear on my children, my fertility doctor shows up in the room, full gown and everything. She's like, what's going on? There's like 30 doctors in the room. Everybody's panicked because they're like, we don't know what's going on. And she says, everybody stop, stop right now. And she's like, before we remove her uterus, I want to see if it's an AVM. An AVM is an arterovenous vesicular malformation which is when your blood vessels create their own blood source and can't be stopped. Very rare, typically happens in the brain, 
now that I've said it, everybody who's listening is going to hear about it all the time. It's sort of like an aneurysm. So they do, they do a fetal MRI, not a fetal MRI, a uterine MRI. You know, I come out of that and they're like, it's an AVM. Like, sh- like, couldn't believe it. They were like, I can't believe it. It's so rare. What does it mean? It means that the only choices are remove the uterus or try, try to embolize it. Okay. And that entails going, so I, they send me down to interventional radiology, which is where they do this extremely painful procedure where they shoot this sort of like glue type substance through your femoral artery, if you can imagine the pain into that blood vessel clot. Oh my gosh, this is awful. Did you, did they save your uterus? They saved my freaking uterus. In hindsight, I wish they had just taken out. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay. Did you, did you, at this point, did you get pregnant again or? Yes. You did? Like an idiot. I go back to the fertility and she's like, you know, I get cleared. I have to wait months. They clear me for pregnancy. They're like, your uterus looks completely normal. It's like it never happened. And you can be pregnant again. And my husband's still on this, like, you know, kick about having a baby. So I, like a moron, put in an embryo, get pregnant, and then have another miscarriage. Mm. Come to find out, in the meantime, that I had a blood clotting disorder. That's a whole other thing. But anyway, so get pregnant, have a miscarriage. Now we have these friggin' embryos left over. We try surrogacy. My poor surrogate, who I'm still friends with to, to this day, and I love her. She's listening. She tried so hard to get pregnant for us, but it didn't happen. Oh, so we my lost goodness. the embryos. We lost the money. And now I'm like, that's it. This is it. We're adopting. There's no questions asked. I basically, you know, my husband comes around, and this is how we get to the adoption part. Okay. So he comes around. Okay, so he comes around the end of 2018. Oh my goodness, that was a crazy year. So in that year, you lost twins, you bled out, you bled out again, and then you got pregnant and miscarried again. Yeah, I think it was within a year or or if it was two years, maybe. Okay, so now you're going to start the adoption process. Your husband's on board. Where do you even start? When you know, April, I want to say this too, because I think people who are listening need to hear this, that like, I remember when people would say, oh my God, it took us a year to get pregnant or something. And I would think, oh my God, a year, I will die. I'll never make it. And then I'm like five years mm-hmm. of hell, right? It's just crazy. Mm-hmm. So now we said, decide, okay, we're going to adopt. So we immediately sign on with this company, this agency in California called Adoption Network Law Center. And they want $18,000 up front right? It's like this crazy amount of money, but you're so desperate. You don't care. You'll cut off your legs. So we give them this money, right? That we barely have. And they set up this cookie cutter profile and it's lame and we never hear anything. And months and months and months go by. And every day is like an eternity when you're waiting. Mm -hmm. So we work with an agency called Adoption Choices in Framingham, Massachusetts, that was going to do our home study, and we had to go to classes with them, and they were really wonderful. And they're like, oh, we really wish you hadn't signed on with this big, fancy agency because, you know, they're just going to steal your money and yada, yada. And like, we have this agency we wish you would work with, blah, blah, blah. And I'm trying to convince my husband, we got to sign on with another agency. We're never going to get a baby. He's like, no, no, no. But we sign on with Heart of Adoptions in Florida. They're wonderful. 
we immediately start getting some traction. Um, we had to say no to one adoption. That was heartbreaking because here you are so desperate and then you feel like a complete, you know, you feel insane for having to say no, but it was like, we couldn't take on two severe, severe special needs children. Mm-hmm. We didn't like that was fair to them. So that was really hard to have to say no. And I think before you start the adoption process, you really don't think about that, right? Mm-hmm. You're not like, oh, I'm going to have to say no. You're like, of course, I'll take any baby. Right. You know, or we you, think, you think you're going to say no to everything. You think like, I, right. I can't handle anything. I remember like our list was so long and we were like, we, no, 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 because we went in uneducated and we're like, we just want the perfect baby. And then we ended up saying like, yes to everything. So I think it's always opposite of what you think you're going to do. 100%. And you know, the perception is so different from the reality. I mean, the perception is that you go into like a cabbage patch farm and you're like, Ooh, this one looks cute. And that is just not even remotely close to how it is. I mean, back in the day it was, you know, the agencies would match you and now you have to be picked by a birth mother. Mm -hmm. Totally different. Totally different. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you said no. Oh, I bet you were like, Oh gosh, no. How long are we going to wait? Exactly. So now I'm panicked. And sometimes I will say this, I'm glad this didn't happen to you, but sometimes the agency punishes you if you say no. Totally. They like put you at the very end. You know, I had a family say that they said no to a child that was born with a severe brain disorder and they just didn't think they had what it took to care for the baby. And they said no. And then they were put at the very end and waited like another two years. So they were really sad. You shouldn't be punished for saying no so true. if you just feel like you can't do it. Totally. People are really judgy about it, yeah. too, you know, and it's like, but it's not, you're not the one taking on these two babies with fragile X right. syndrome. I mean, it was like, that was, you know, people are very judgy about the whole process. Even after everything we went through with pregnancies, et cetera, people were like, why don't you just adopt? As if it was like going to the store for groceries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even my doctor would say, listen, adoption is hard and long and expensive and at least your insurance is covering infertility you know and those are that's reality Mm -hmm. right and then so many people would say to us oh I always wanted to adopt and it's like but you didn't (laughs) (laughs) right and and I say that I what I said before is a little bit like I have a, a struggle with it because we ended up saying yes to AJ and he had a severe brain condition and he ended up not having it and so I'm like, if I would go back, I might have said no, because it's like, I can't handle. But we just jumped into it and it ended up working out. So not always should you say no, right? You just have to know in your gut what's right for you. And and you have that choice. Sometimes agencies will make you feel like you don't have a choice, but you do. Right. You do have a choice. You can say yes and you can say no. And I, sometimes both are hard. And so you just have to go with your gut. So how long until you got matched? So it was like a couple months later. I mean, I was destroyed by that, but I mean, just devastated by having to say no. And it, it wasn't that long. I want to say it was like another month um, when I got an email on Thanksgiving about a birth mother that was interested in us because they had referred us to another agency called Building Families. And I, I remember, April, now that you're saying it, I remember talking to Heart of Adoptions and saying, please, please, please don't put us on the bottom. Because as time went on, the other thing to know about adoption is you sometimes start out with this rigid 
you know, um, list of things you want. And then you just open up and open up as time goes on because you're like, I'm not going to, we're not going to get this perfect baby. So next thing you know, we were open to biracial. Next thing you know, we were open to um, any other race. Then we were open to drug use. Then we were open to certain disabilities. Then we were, you know what I mean? You're just sort of opening your door as time goes on. Mm So we get the the email on Thanksgiving, but at this point I'm so, you know, for lack of a better term, dead inside. I'm like, whatever, who cares? Like, show me the baby. And, you know, I'm not even like, okay, cool, great. Email, neat. And I'm like, okay, well, when does she do? And she says, oh, well, she's due January 14th. And I'm like, oh my God, that's like in a month and a half. She's like, oh, don't, don't worry. Don't worry. I'm going on vacation, but I'm going to hook you up with the agency next month. I'm like next month, but the baby's due on January 14th. That's December. So we end up hooking up with the agency. We meet um, our daughter's birth mother on FaceTime. She was really late in pregnancy. She really was struggling with um, the choice because she had had two other sons. She wasn't currently living with, but, you know, she's a really, really good person. We do have an open adoption, and I love her dearly. Um And the birth father didn't want anything to do with her or the baby. So she was really, really struggling with the decision. She was also older. She was like 36 and we were kind of the same age. So that was kind of weird too. Because it was kind of like, I can relate to you. You can relate to me. Um, We still didn't believe it was going to happen. You know, Mm -hmm. we had just been let down and disappointed so many times. And that's really hard. That is really hard. And this is why I think it's so important that people get help after infertility. Because what people really don't understand is that when you jump into an adoption situation, you are jumping into somebody else's grief. You are now entering into, right? The birth mom's grief. And you have to be strong enough to be able to help her through that. You are going to be the strong one in the situation, even though you have just been crying for years and totally broken. There has to be a place where you have that inner strength. And some people, like you said, you went into it in the grief, but you did get help before. And like you said, you're about to enter into maybe a failed adoption. Maybe she's going to change her mind. That's horrible to think about that grief. It's not horrible. Listen, I, I, yeah, I, I don't want people to think that I said horrible as in like, if the mom chooses to parent, I think that she should have the right to parent. But I mean, horrible for the adoptive parent because they've gone through so much grief. So I I love that you got help. And I just want to reiterate that point is here you are, you're jumping into this relationship with this woman who is almost your age and you're about to enter into some of her grief. Totally. And you know, April, it is never lost on me. And I said this before, I say it all the time, not a day goes by that it is not lost on me that my gifts are someone else's loss. Mm-hmm. And the magnitude of that is so intense. Mm-hmm. And not only does it increase my gratitude, but it increases the passion at which we parent. You know, and I think that it's hard to know that coming into it because a lot of people, when we were in the hospital, the some of the nurses would say, wow, you guys are like really great. Some of these adoptive parents just call the birth mothers like a vessel you know, they don't treat them like humans. Oh they don't gosh. have a relationship. And that's heartbreaking. Yeah, it's so important to to adopt the whole story, we say. You're not just adopting the baby, you're adopting the whole story. And a lot of times you'll find 
such joy in that. You know, we have found such joy in knowing our birth mothers and birth fathers and going on the journey with them. And you actually go on it two times with the same birth mom. And we'll get to that. Okay, so talk about her birth. Tori's born in Florida. We get down to Florida. We get the call the day after Christmas that she's going into labor. I am a complete disaster. But like you said, I know that I have to be strong for this baby and this birth mother. And this is just a mission. And, you know, when you're a mother, um, you just do it. You do what you got to do for your kids, and that's it. And there's just no ifs, ands, and buts about it. You know, for me also, I want to say that doing advocacy work around the infertility stuff is also kind of what healed me. I just want to make sure I say that. So I think um, talking about it was important. I couldn't believe the lack of resources. Um, So I wanted to create that. I actually started a campaign called the Hope Addicts Campaign for people to share their stories about, you know, miscarriages, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we get down to Florida. She goes into false labor. So now I'm pacing. I'm in Tampa just pacing for days. And we took her out for dinner on uh, New Year's Eve. And wouldn't you know that the next morning we got a phone call and she was in full labor and out Tori came right into my own hands. I mean, it's unbelievable. So you were in the room? In the room. Oh my goodness. Flying right into my hands. I know. I know. It's a lot. But, you know, we were just, we couldn't believe it. But, you know, she then still had 48 hours to just make her final decision. Mm -hmm. So now we're in a hotel. I'm a disaster. But she can't know that, of course. She needs to think that I am this, like, strong mom. I got this. No problem. Blah, blah, blah. I'm going back and forth from her room to my room, you know, in my bathroom, just sobbing hysterically, like, holding onto the walls, Mm -hmm. you know, like, hitting myself in the face, like, you can do this. Let's go. Um, it was really hard for her to give Tori to us. Um, but I will say that I will never, um, there will never be a way to thank her. And she gave us both of our children out of pure love. And I believe that strongly. Mm-hmm. So Tori's now two, but at, when she was about nine months old, we got a call from the birth mother that she was, um, pregnant again. And it was, she wanted us to take this baby, but of course I'm panicked and freaked out. And is it going to happen? She was in jail and there's a lot of drugs and there was a lot of bleeding and we didn't think the baby was going to make it. And it was COVID and it was great. I mean, on top of the pandemic. Right. Like, could you even get to the hospital? I mean, mean, yes, but it was like a nightmare. I mean, everything was a nightmare. I went down to Florida by myself because my daughter um, has a condition. We didn't want her catching COVID in Florida. So my husband stayed here with my daughter. I'll send you the video of our reunification, but I was gone from my daughter for weeks. But again, I knew I had to be strong for this baby and the birth mother. So basically I went through the entire thing completely by myself, Mm -hmm. you know, crying myself to sleep at night. But yet, you know, here I am in a hotel. I've got, you know, everything you need for a newborn with no baby, Wondering if it's really going to happen. Um, he was born July 2nd. I missed the birth by just like a few hours. And, you know, once again, had to go through the waiting periods for her to sign all the paperwork and all that stuff. Talk, and about, it was just, talk about what she was like in the hospital with Tori. Oof. 
it wasn't good. It was bad because she's a very emotional person. She had a love, a lot of love for this baby. So she would be with the baby all day, you know, cuddling and loving on this baby. And then at night they would, the nurses would bring me the baby and I would take care of the baby all night. So I was exhausted and she really, you know, loved that baby. What made her decide, yes, this was the right choice? I think she did not want her kids to be raised. She didn't want to be a single mother. She wanted them to have a father and have a family. And, you know, she had been through that before. And she knew that these kids deserve to have the best that life could offer. And I think she really, truly believed that we would be those people. And I'm just eternally grateful. I think it's very rare that you get a second child from a birth mother. But, you know, our story is unique in some ways. And we still have a relationship with her. You know, and I'll love her forever for the decision that she made. So baby Chase is now seven months old. Oh, that's a boy. He's a boy. Oh. So Tori's two, Chase is seven months, you know, and they, so they're half siblings. Tori's biracial. Well, they're both biracial, actually. Tori's um, black and white and Chase is white and Mexican. Although he looks exactly like my husband, who's white as a day is long. Aw. And how did you pick their names? I really, you know, it's hard when you're doing transracial adoption because you're not sure what they're going to look like. And I wanted them to have names that were really easy to pronounce and easy to spell for their sake so that they, you know, they're going to have challenges, right? They're adopted. They're biracial. Were they healthy? This is just life. They are both so healthy. Were they healthy at birth? Um, Tori struggled a lot with withdrawals. A lot. She was really colicky. Um, she had a really hard time with a lot of the withdrawal symptoms. The only withdrawal symptom that Chase has exhibited is having a lot of body stiffness, which has sort of shaken itself out as he's gotten older. Um, but they're both super healthy and strong. And, you know, you can nurture away a lot of nature. I believe in that. And, I mean, sometimes nature just is what it is, right? You can't always fix it. But mm-hmm. you can nurture a lot out of things that were um, caused by nature. Right. So I think. Right. So, yes. And I, I think also you have the resources to get the children help. You know, right. it's so like. I put them both in early yeah, intervention yeah. right away. So that you can and, help them too. And that's also a healing process of giving them what they need if they're behind or if, you know, as they have come off of you know, exposure, it's hard at first. It's very hard because the baby is, like you said, very colicky. It's hard to feed the baby. Sometimes they don't gain weight right away. And so you were just in it to win it. And I think that makes a huge difference. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of postpartum that goes along with adoption because not only, you know, people think, oh, you brought home this baby. You must be so excited and happy. It's like, well, I'm also exhausted and tired. And it was traumatic. And I just watched somebody give me their child. So there's a lot of trauma in that. Mm -hmm. And then me personally, I was reliving a lot of my own trauma and the triggers around like, well, you had a baby. Why couldn't I have a baby? You know, and there's a lot of that. I mean, the dichotomy, it's just, it's so complex and people want it to be simple because nobody wants to feel sad, but it's not simple. And it's, and it's hard, you know, people say, well, oh, they're going to have such a great life now. It's like, well, we don't know that because we're not, I'm not adopted and I'm not biracial and I'm not adopted and biracial. Right. So I will only make sure, do everything I can to make sure that they 
live the best yes. life they possibly can. Do you know what I say when people say that? They're going to have a great life. I said, I don't know about them, but I am. I'm having a great <laughs> life. I love being a mom. Exactly. Or when they say, you're so lucky. I say, oh, I don't know about them, but I'm lucky. You know, exactly. I can't speak you know for them because it's their journey. But I'll tell you what it's yeah. like to be a mom of these children. It's the greatest thing in the world, you know, and I'm having a great life because of somebody else's choice and in, exactly. in giving the child life. And, you know, these mothers made me a mother and there's a deep connection there. I, I love my birth mothers as well. And um, we talk often, but there is this closeness that it, it just, it's just unexplainable. Like there's just love that's unexplainable, right? It really is. And, you know, the concern for like their well-being is so intense just because I don't know what their journey is going to be like. And I just want to be able to support it. Yes. Yes. And that's what it's really about. I, I want to go back to the names. Did she like the names? Did the birth mom like the names you picked? She did. Tori and Chase. I think they were both just simple, although she did name, she wanted a different name for Tori. um, And she did name Chase a different name for herself, which is fine. I mean, the naming thing is like its own animal, right? It's complicated and it's awkward, Mm -hmm. but she does. She does like the names. Thank God. And does she call them the names you named them? Yes, 100%. And she wants to be like an auntie. Yes, we talked about that. We talked about that role because it's kind of awkward. It's like, oh, this is your birth mom, but I'm raising you. And so it's kind of an auntie relationship. It's a special. I mean, when they're older, they'll get it. But when they're little, it's kind of like this is your auntie. This is somebody who loves you as much as I love you. They're interested in the things that, you know, they want to know your first step. They want to walk that journey. And it's kind of cool to partner in that way. A lot of people shut that down because they don't know much about adoption and open adoption is kind of new, but it can be a really, really beautiful journey. And I'm sure she really looked to you to help her. And really, you know, when she was in jail, she called you. And when she's going through hard times, she will call you. And that's just something that you kind of sign up for. It really is. You know, it's not for the faint of heart. I'll tell you that. Um, Oop, a baby toy just went off. But yeah, I mean, it's not for the faint of heart. You definitely have to be um, strong and committed and persevere and resilient mm-hmm. and just sort of guide with love. I think that's the only way because it's not easy and it can be scary and hard. But the reward is just, I mean, it's insurmountable. Yes. There's no, There are no words to ever describe. I know. I just got the chills joy, when you said yeah. that. It's like all the things that you go through and then you just have this beautiful child and it's totally worth it. And your husband was fine. He bonded to the children just oh fine. God, it happens. With them. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I want to like, you know, shake him and say like, what is, why did you torture me? <laughs> he just didn't know oh. what he didn't know. And I know that there are some husbands out there right now listening and their wife is like staring at them like, listen. And it's true. Well, you just, like, you, you can't help but fall in love. The, the vulnerability I had somebody say on the show of a little person that is looking to you, it bonds you and it doesn't have well, to be you your know, DNA. That and like just looking at them and thinking about what their life would have been without you, the gratitude. And like I said, not a day goes by, not a minute goes by where I am not in awe of these children. Okay. You wrote a book. 
I wrote a book for Tori. And tell us where we can get that book. Okay, the book is called How Many Kisses. It is a children's book that is just pure love. Um, you can get it on Amazon if you just search How Many Kisses, the book. And I wrote it for her. I guess I'm going to have to write one for Chase now. <laughs> but it's uh, some of the proceeds go to resolve.org. And resolve.org is an organization that helps people build their own families. Um, so for anybody who's looking for support, they do have um, support, lots of support groups. No matter what your journey is, that's their mission is to support um, people who are trying to build their families and raise awareness. That's and eradicate some of the stigmas around adoption and birth mothers and, you know, all the stuff that goes with it. That's amazing. Thank you so much for joining the show today, Ruthie. It was my pleasure. Thank you. And good luck to everybody out there who is starting their journey. <laughs> and if they want to reach out to me, they can do that as well. Awesome. And thank you for listening. If you have an adoption story you'd like to share, please email us at afallon at adoptionnowpodcast.com. See you next episode.